Hi there, listeners. Welcome back to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast, and our watch-along of Glass Mask. My name is Vry. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. You can find me on Twitter at trash at writer Vry, uh, where I post the freelance things I do and am sad about Yu-Gi-Oh! Or you can find the other podcast I co-host at TrashPod. And back with me again are Megan and Marion, if y'all want to plug your stuff. Alright, uh, I am Megan Diarman. I go by Brainchild129 on Twitter. My pronouns are she and her. And right now, uh, I'm doing manga reviews as par- at my site, The Manga Test Drive, which is currently celebrating its 8th anniversary! Woo! Yay! Hi, I'm Marion. I write and I have a channel called Marion B. I upload videos most- mostly on all stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Eccentric Marion, and that's it. Hey, and because I keep forgetting, uh, Marion, you and I both use they, them, yes? Yeah. No, no big deal. I always forget to do pronoun checks, and then I remember the old adage, every podcast is somebody's first. I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Anyway, uh, this time around, we are back with episodes 12 through 17 of Glass Mask. And as always, to start us out, uh kind of get a general feel how are how's your emotional being after this set of episodes this was intense and i feel like i say something like this every single time but it's the truth there, there was a lot of emotional ups and downs it never stops everything is so much in glass mask i feel like what i learned from this episode is that i'm very or in this set is that i'm very glad all of a sudden that this anime really heavily emphasized the rivalry element because I don't like this story very much when Ayumi isn't there. <laughs> Every time she's not on screen, you should be asking, where's Ayumi? Okay, but high key my mood <laughs> this time around. Because those, I, I was, I almost got a little bit worried at first when I started watching this, uh, the run for this episode because those first two episodes are rough. They, they kind of lived up to everything I was basically worried that the show would be and that it had, it had kind of pleasantly surprised me about, where a lot of uh, Maya's female friends and the other sympathetic female characters are kind of in the background, and it's mostly all these men who have such passionate feelings about her and the women who are jealous of her talent and success and all the attention from men that she gets. And I was like, oh, I don't enjoy this. And it's so straight-faced about it. Indeed, more so than the last couple of batches. This one is all about the romance. And all about the tormented romance because nobody can just sit down and have a conversation for five minutes and actually say what they're thinking and feeling. Nope. <laughs> it's super drama for the sake of drama. <laughs> So it's appropriate that uh, the first thing they put on is a production of Wuthering Heights, the only thing that could match Glass Mask in pure drama. For me, it's actually it's actually funny. Like I can't take this seriously. I laugh <laughs> I laugh my ass off with this episode. I mean, it, I alternate between laughing and cringing because holy shit, Masube. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that is a completely reasonable response, honestly. Well, and especially 
especially since you're rewatching it. Like there's no, you know, the element of surprise is gone for you. So it's just the, the all that's left is the absurdity. So I could totally see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to really take it seriously when you have all those extremely shock, shock expressions, one, of, one after the other, with that extremely intense button, background music. It's just, I don't know, it's just funny. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Like, well, it's... Once, uh-huh. one, one second, something... I don't even remember what was happening, but suddenly, Tsukikage is dying. And Maya cries while sparkles come out of her eyes. And <laughs> How could you take that seriously? She has but, anime cough. No, I'm sorry. Her mother has anime coughing disease. Tsukikage <laughs> has vague stomach pain anime disease. The, the slightly rarer variant. L- like, her mother is dying. And no one gives a fuck because Tsukikage is also dying. <laughs> and then <laughs> when she's like, who's going to teach me the play of the Crimson Goddess? She comes back to complete her life's work. It's so dramatic, it's so entertaining, but it's also so absurd. You know, just in case you weren't convinced that this was basically a sports anime in a shoujo disguise, I mean, you have stunts like that, you have points where they talk about things like burning spirit, like, you you cannot convince me this is not a sports anime. It's just the sport is acting. (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting how the role of Crimson Goddess is basically treated like the title of uh, of the master of an art form, basically. Like it would be in, in a fighting anime. Yeah, pretty much. Which, I mean, there are legacy roles, but it's interesting how it's phrased to kind of convey it in terms of genre conventions of a different genre. <laughs> and speaking of different genres, this stretch of the show, it, it kind of became a harem for a little while. Because it's no longer just the rivalry between you and Hayami. Now we got a new player, Ryo, who basically forgets that your character is not the same thing as your actress. He was the most reasonable one of all of this. Like, I, I had that moment uh, with, with Hayao where I'm like, oh, he's being way more mature about this than all of the other people in this situation. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's because he's an adult and these are all children and he's a creep. I forgot for a minute. <laughs> there's actually the worst part is that there's actually a scene that's supposed to make make the comparison between Masumi and Sakura Koji and how Sakura Koji has such a such an immature reaction while Masumi is chill because he is approaching this like a like an adult and it's just so <sighs> and like, like poor you poor you no fuck him. Like, it's ridiculous, but it's also a normal, dumb teenager reaction, and yes. I prefer that over the corpiness of Masubi. Masubi behaving like an adult in a situation where it clearly belongs to dumb teenagers. Even though, like, I know, I know when you're a teenager, you get jealous and you do things that don't make sense, but I really had a hard time with Sakura Koji in the stretch, because at least with Ryo, he's like... He's on the stage. He's also playing this other half of the remote uh, relationship, and there's a reason that like showmance is a is a go to trope and like a thing that's joked about in the theater world because you spend so much time with these people and you form these really intimate bonds and people do hook up a lot. That's a pretty common thing in the industry. So I get why 
I, I really actually kind of liked his character arc where he is like, do I really like this person? And then he goes to see her pl- in another performance and is immediately like, oh, no, I did the acting thing again. I'm dumb. And he's <laughs> never heard from again. And we're with like Sakura Koji, it's like, okay, you're a teenager, but also you are also an actor and you should know that this happens. And it's one thing to be kind of, ha- you know, having feelings about it, but it's another thing to just be shitty with her when she's trying to be on a date with you. At that point, you're just an asshole. Yeah, unfortunately, he forgot that Maya has nothing inside her brain except acting and finally figures out, oh, she doesn't actually notice me romantically because she notices no one romantically because the only <laughs> thing she's in love with is, a- is acting and he goes and has a tantrum. I remember Just- I remember the first time I watched the show, I was actually pissed at him by the way he behaved. But now I just laugh. Like <laughs> it's so it's so unnecessarily extra. You don't have to go that far. You can just talk to her. And then she goes after him. And they don't talk. They just yes. look at each other. Like Yes. <laughs> In true shoujo <laughs> manga form, they all have deep feelings, feelings that could be cleared up with literally two minutes of conversation where they just told one another how they felt. No, we're just gonna stand. They just run under the rain. the rain and look at each other's eyes, and, the, and no one says shit. <laughs> and everything. He's become a playboy. Heart is only room for her, but I don't care because there's not enough time in the show. A playboy at the donut shop. <laughs> it, it is. Also highly illustrative, I think, this stretch about how once this show loses you a little bit, it loses you a lot. Because at least for me, once I was kind of getting annoyed with the uh, amount of jealousy and the new female characters who were just there to cause problems and go away immediately because they're jealous. And, you know, Tsukikage's big monologues about how Maya's going to have trouble because everyone will be so jealous of her talent. All of a sudden, I st- I, it was harder for me to go along with the, the big melodrama things that I was kind of buying into before because because the show kind of had me with, uh, you know, enough on the emotional investment front. But it's it's so tenuous, the, the emotional attachment to this series. Like, if you're not willing to buy in, it's not going to work for you at all, is what I've discovered. It really doesn't help that this stretch has more Hayami than ever. And as always... He is still just the worst. The absolute worst. No, but Maya's Maya's 15 now, so it's not creepy at all. It's still creepy. Uh, (laughs) Still very creepy. Mm -hmm. You know, this weekend, I watched all the Hollywood versions of Daddy Long Legs. And when I watched this stretch of Glassmas, it was like, oh, I'm watching another version of Daddy Long Legs. (laughs) Because, you see, there's... There's always a there's always a younger and a much 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 older adult. There's always this dude sponsoring education. Even the way she talks about the Mister Purple Rose, it sounds like she's actually talking to him, kind of like how Judy writes letters to Daddy Long Legs. Is it feels like she's communicating, and it's always this poor unfortunate girl being pampered by a rich man. And it's always that un- very unsettling element of a romance with someone who's definitely too young to have these kind of romances. Uh, and, and yeah, pretty much. It, it really reminds me how much this is 
a daddy long leg story. And it comes with worse problems than a normal daddy long leg story because usually this sponsors her college education. This girl is, is still a minor. Mm-hmm. It, it, it stretches even it stretches credulity even within the bounds of its own definitions when she sees the rose in his car and it's like <laughs> what could this mean <laughs> she's so close she's so close and then completely overshoots it and of course he's still hell-bent on keeping up this double identity thing like i'm going to support her behind the scenes but i'm gonna be a total dick to her face because this, this is my lot i am so tormented this is my glass mask Shut up, and, my secu- and my secretary is enabling me at this point. Okay, but like this woman is the real MVP. <laughs> Who knows what the hell is going on? Everyone was kind of terrible in this stress, except for Ayumi, and and I'm, I'm just like, yeah, okay, this is your boss. You know what's up. You know he's full of shit. <sighs> she is enabling him though, and that does suck. <laughs> yeah, she has figured the whole thing out, but she's also served like. She also has sort of like a wingman sort of role, so yeah. Mm. I mean, with the other Daddy Long Legs versions, at least they were musicals, and I love musicals. There were no <laughs> musicals here. <laughs> no, no musicals. At least Lots they of- dance in the other versions. <laughs> Lots of Western plays this time around, and a lot of um, in, you know, a lot of big melodrama, like you said, Megan, with with Withering Heights, which is. Uh, problematic. Yeah, let's go with that. (laughs) Yeah. See, that just—I already had this weird connection in my head with this show and Kate Bush, and that—that just confirmed it. (laughs) (laughs) Just that same sort of intensity. Yeah, I mean, Gasmus is not—is not just melodrama. It also has a particular flavor of '80s melodrama. Oh my goodness, yes. I am kind of fascinated by its almost, you know, it its fascination with, with these European stories, just in terms of, because it reminds me a little bit of, like, BL choosing those very fantastical Western settings. I like, think... Like this displacement. Yeah, I think it comes from being from the 70s, because 70s radio was really interesting in Europe. Hmm. Yeah, Stone Smile doesn't seem to be a. That seems to be made up for the show, which I'm guessing is why we get such a thorough description of it. At the very least, uh, I wasn't able to find anything about it. Although it could be the same as uh, Gina and Five Blue Pots, where these are just lower, you know, lesser known enough that Google is not helping me out. Mm-hmm. And. You have, of course, and when they got to at the very end of this stretch, they mentioned that Maya is going to try out for the miracle worker. And I had a moment of fucking course she is, because that's the <laughs> ultimate in what we were talking about last time with the, you know, sort of tourism acting. Pop- yeah, tourism acting. Yeah. Thought- it's the ultimate. I thought it were mentioning that Helen Keller was a real person. Yes, which I think kind of makes it worse because <laughs> she's. It, I think a lot because of the miracle worker, uh, she's held up as this sort of the embodiment of the inspirational overcoming disabilities narrative uh, that other folks on the site have talked about. I'll see if I can't link that in the uh, show notes, it, not for glass mask, but just in general. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Although 
And by interesting, I mean kind of frustrating, but also not just Glass Mask. So many, so many things about acting were doing this. But I was really pleased that this stretch dug into Maya's scene stealing and how that's kind of a bad thing, actually. Yeah, like the the big breakthrough she has, like, oh, I've been selfish. And you can tell that her friends have been around her long enough that they recognize that when she starts staring off in a thousand yard distance, like, oh, she's having a breakthrough. It's fine. <laughs> She'll be back. It's like in Scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> where they have the j- joke about the cutaways <laughs> except that time they yeah anyway it was yeah did i've been explaining the joke and it's not funny anymore him <laughs> but yeah i really i really loved that because again in those first two episodes when Suki, uh, kage is going on so much about you know she's just so talented and she shines and other people will be jealous of her and she'll be thrown out and have a hard time and i'm over here like no, it's because she doesn't know how to work in an ensemble and she's being thoughtless to her other performers and acting is reacting is one of the most common pieces of advice that there is. And then she gets it and I'm like, yeah, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, at this mm. point, it, it's be- easy to say that probably her best mentor is Ayumi herself, because at long last, after waiting for so many episodes, we finally get the ultimate showdown of acting destiny. Ayumi and Maya are finally on a stage together. It was my favorite moment in the show so far. I clapped a little. And Ayumi demonstrates seamlessly how to help a person in a case whose script has been altered with and kind of feed them enough information, feed them lines, feed feed Maya what she needs to basically continue this role. And it is marvelous. That moment where... Sorry. (laughs) That moment... That moment where Maya and Ayumi look into each other's eyes and you see the golden sparkles. I felt that. <laughs> the, just the passionate staring as they each recognize another's one another's worth and then they go apart from each other and talk about how the other one is so pretty and talented. And... Yeah, when they face each other on the stage, it's very interesting how they both walk away thinking they, they were defeated by the other. Like, they both fixate on how the other... Is so much better than them because they they not only recognize the the other's talent, it's it sort of overwhelms them. Mm-hmm. And also that scene is uh the stress dream that I've had like for the past decade where all of a sudden you have to do a show and you have no idea what's going on or what your lines are. <laughs> so that was upsetting. <laughs> God knows that Ayumi that Amaya could use a mentor like Ayumi because not only do we have the return of the conflict between the real mom, Hana, and her stage mom, Tsukikage, but this stretch of the show really makes it clear that Tsukikage is not, doesn't see herself as Maya's stage mom, so to speak. She is basically molding Maya into herself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it- it reminded me of that sort of plotline early on in Steven Universe where Pearl realizes that she's passing her unhealthy coping mechanisms down to to Connie and has to realize, oh shit, no, this is this is bad actually. Except there's no realization here. <laughs> yeah, so Connie's mo- like, I grew up an orphan, I didn't have parents, all I had was acting, and I turned out fine. My will turn out fine. Like it's a, no, no, that's the exact wrong message to take from this. And yet everything suddenly makes so much sense. 
Yes, even though Maya is absolutely tormented because her mother is dying of tuberculosis and is being sent off to a sanitarium basically to die. <laughs> and is understandably grieving. And Tsukakage is like, no, you will not feel that emotion. You will not have that emotion on the stage. This is yeah. this is a very extreme version of the show must go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are we are back to lionizing method acting, even when it leads to actual physical harm again. Yeah, the the Admittedly, the, the the one rare moment where Hayami is not a total creep. He walks in them practicing this stone smile play, and he accidentally breaks the bamboo frame Sukakage is using to basically train Maya to hold her body like a doll, which is breaking to the point that is piercing her skin. And he's the only one who recognizes this is kind of messed up. Take this girl to the doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I wish it didn't involve still, ripping off her shirt in the process, but yeah, that was yeah, bad. that was exactly what I was gonna say. I'm sure <laughs> that could have been done differently. Yeah, yeah, and the way it's framed, like, uh, <laughs> it feel the way Maya covers herself is just so uncomfortable. Uh huh. They they could have well, not done that. <laughs> All of their interactions in this stretch, more so than usual, are extremely uncomfortable because he's just continuing to put more and more pressure on her to do what he wants. And every time she yells at him, no, I'm not going to go with you. No, I'm not going to listen. I'm like, yes, yes. Listen to that instinct inside of you, girl. Feed it. Nourish it. Follow it. And it's, you know, I don't want them to end up together as a couple, and I'm going to scream and beat against that inevitability until it smacks me in the face. But... Even if he was, like, even if this relationship weren't sort of poisoned at the root, he's not helping himself as a sympathetic character because he refuses to budge from that point of, I'm going to say cruel and terrible things to drive you away from me while also doing, you know, helpful things behind the scenes. And the more he does that, the more it comes across in the narrative. Like, I know that I'm being a creep. So I have to continue this front, which I don't think is what the narrative is trying to get me to feel. Masumi is a bitch for no reason. And based <laughs> on what I know from Daddy Long Legs, I'm guessing she will... I mean, in Daddy Long Legs, Judy falls for driving Pedanton before knowing he is also her daddy. And I'm guessing that's also where this is going. I mean, not in the show, but like in the eventual story. Like she will mm-hmm. fight for Masumi before knowing he's also... Mr. Purple Rose, and I don't know, if it follows the, the Daddy Lonelings formula, she will only realize at the very end of the story, but at this point, no one is sure if this is ever going to end, so. Yeah, it's fully setting up on the the somewhat familiar trope of, of, you know, oh no, I'm starting to have feelings for this guy I totally hate, but this feels like a betrayal of this guy who's always been my protector. Oh, I, I am such a wanton human being. Oh, it's dreadful. <sighs> well, at least she's got one positive role model in life, and it's Ray. Ray is still good. Ray is best girl. I mean, <laughs> Ray is best girl. Although even she gets like hit by the Tsukikage stick and 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 is now replicating the abuse, <laughs> even when their mentor is not there. And I'm like, no, stop. 
Yeah, there's a part where where he slaps where she slaps Maya, and she's like, "If Tsukigahe was here, she will do that." And then I'm not like, "Why? Why are you copying Tsukigahe now? We shouldn't copy Tsukigahe." Because the Stockholm syndrome has kicked in. <laughs> yeah, but outside of that, she's probably the only character here that has some common sense. She's the only one who actually cares for Maya as a person to remind her to do things like eat and sleep, and you know tries to counsel her and even Sukakage realizes that Rei is going to be a future lesbian icon and gives her the pants rolls. <laughs> Hell yeah, she was really uh rocking that Audrey Hepburn in in pants energy and I was you know I, I was a fan. Oh that sounds weird. Not like that. <laughs> this is a child. It's Next funny summer. that it's funny that you say that because I have a picture of Audrey Hepburn in pants right in front of me. <laughs> Like, I, have, I have a I have a moral in front of me, and Audrey's part of it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that was the look that they were going for, though. I mean, given that some of the influences that the show draws from, I was so happy to see her get to act, though, because it it so often feels like the other people in this school are are essentially Maya's cheerleaders at the end of the day. So I I was glad to get to peek in on their careers, and that the uh, trip from Hokkaido came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually wanted to. I I actually wanted to watch that play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it looked like sort of n- not screwball, but screwball esque. You know, there's comedy of errors. Yeah, there's definitely kind of a farcical quality to it, but it's played very straight. Like, yeah, I, I would watch that. It felt it felt like the sort of nonsense that you could find in 1930s comedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the very, you know, who's got the suitcase type thing, except, was it? yeah, it was good. <laughs> and it, and I maybe because it was, you know, invented for this, we got to see a little bit more of what makes it work rather than, you know, with the plays that are title drops, it seems a little bit more like, and here's the scene that's thematically relevant to our story at hand and no other context. Go look it up, kids. But I also like how uh, that particular stretch of episodes really plays into the show's larger theme about, you know, uh, art for art's sake versus artist entertainment because they're competing with this big theater, putting on a big production of Hamlet, and they presume no one's going to go to this weird little makeshift out of nowhere theater in a basement, and then it becomes the the sensation of the month, apparently. And even though they're impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I warmed my heart to to see you know a nod to underground theater no i did yeah exactly (laughs) not not gonna be a lot of outsider art in glass mask but you know this was this was a neat little nod and and i'll take it yeah it's kind of an interesting uh, it's an interesting balance that this show kind of occasionally thinks about the fact that you know one does not eat on art alone basically but it, and that at a certain point you have to balance, you know, being artistically driven with creating a product that the audience wants. But then it it kind of goes away from that again because a character will they'll, they'll happen to know somebody who knows somebody who has something they can do because of their gosh darn determination. It's it's not Azakin is what I'm saying, but <laughs> you know it's plucky. <laughs> Yeah, and I um, suppose that's fine because you know we are dealing mostly in metaphors, which we finally get the title drop. 
almost yes. two thirds of the way in. <laughs> Better late than never. <laughs> I mean, we've been getting it in every episode before it starts. To be fair, we have been prepared. Yeah, I'm sure you could guess before why <laughs> it was called Glassmas. But anyway, speaking of the doll play, I mm. like how the show just drops that Maya has the destiny of vandalism on stage with all the drama possible, and then they just ends. It just ends there, and then they're like, "Oh wait, we actually had to explain that, so it makes so it makes sense." So they slowly <laughs> try, so they slowly start to explore the concept and what it means, and how, and how eventually Maya finally realized that that's that's what's happening. Yeah, I feel like on the one hand, part of me is like, "Why didn't anybody just?" explain to her that she's being kind of a jerk about this as opposed to just kicking her out but on the other hand it's one of those things that is you know easier to fix when you realize it yourself so yeah. I kind of gave it a pass on that one I did one of my favorite things about the Ayumi and and Maya scene was how much how inter what an interesting balance it is between you know performers are working together but at the same time there's this logic of you want to win, like when you're acting. It, it's common advice that your character is trying, is fighting to get something in a scene, and if you get what you want, then you've won. And and there's that that push and pull that's so perfectly encapsulated when the two of them are are on screen together. Fuck, that scene was really good. Yeah, like that feeling that you were the best performer in that yeah, moment. This- that this stretch in general had really good direction, some really interesting storyboards. I remember one particular scene where at some point they transitioned from Sukakage talking about Mai on the stage to sheets flapping in the wind and yeah, that was claps are neat. played over that. Like there there's some really interesting artistic stuff going on in this stretch. Yeah, that was pretty neat. And something that I like too is that sort of slow motion transition it has from one expression to other so you can truly appreciate all the subtleties and the movements of their bodies and it for me it really elevates the perform the performances mm-hmm. although at the same time it does have to cut some corners when it's transitioning over big gaps of time you know we move another year forward here and you know there there are episodes where it's just and then this happened and the characters were feeling this way thank you narrator <laughs> Yeah, I specific I specifically mean when you know when Maya is performing Snow White, for example, and there's a subtle shift in her expression where where she has like an evil expression and then she smiles sort of evilly, and that shift when you can when you can truly see the sort of the journey her face goes through to get certain expression, and for me that that's pretty neat. Yeah, there's almost um, a Rakugo, uh, a Rakugo Shinju type quality to that scene that I found really neat, and and like I you know, kind of wondered if, I mean, presumably, uh, Hatakeyama is familiar with Glass Mask at least a bit, but I wondered if there was a little bit of homage in there with that show to this, because uh, yeah, that that scene is very short, but it has some great visuals, like you said. And it also brings up the fact that kids as like a thematic element comes up a lot in this particular stretch, like how uh, Maya just figures out how to play Kathy by basically playing with a random latchkey kid and that gives her the insight. But and that was a really rather sweet little stretch, but it also kind of sunk 
sunk in my mind, something the show never states outright, but it kind of implies that Maya never really had a childhood. Mm. Yeah. Part of the reason she struggles with a lot of this emotional stuff, a lot of this physical stuff, is because she never really had a chance to play and to have relationships with other kids. She was always working, always trying to help her mother. Mm Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of why she's the blank slate that she is. Yeah, and I think it's also part of the appeal of acting for her. Because when she acts, she can be whoever she wants, whatever she wants. I I certainly have cousins in the theater world for whom that is true. Where shitty childhood made acting a very appealing thing. Mm. I, I do not think that is uncommon. And it's... It, yeah, it's interesting these little glimpses we get into this idea that that Maya is the the traits that make Maya who she is are not just because of that's what it takes for her to be the audience insert protagonist character that there's a little bit of deeper psychology there. Yeah, but then again, I think if the story was really serious about exploring like the scars left behind by a shitty childhood, it wouldn't have this type of romance, or at least it wouldn't condone it. But here we are. Mm-hmm. Or it would have taken two years in story to remember that Maya's biological mother exists. <laughs> I I was very surprised that she saw her on the street. I thought for sure this was going to be a situation where she manages to rush to the hospital literally the second she's done. In fact, there's still room for that to happen. I'm still banking on that. That they will reunite long enough for a single dying conversation. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, dramatic conventions insist upon it. Mm-hmm. It's possible. You know, will, will she collapse outside of the door? Will, will there be a, a tragic call from the hospital? We just don't know. But it will be as extra as possible. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, yeah, it was... It was kind of neat to sink in that I think I get an idea of why they chose to cut this adaptation where uh, where they did. Although, obviously, I don't know until we get there. But I'm starting to get the shape of the way they decided how are we going to atap- ad- adapt as much of this as, as we are or aren't with an ongoing work is. It's shaping up to be this story not of how Maya becomes a famous actor, but of how she earned Tsukikage's blessing to one day be uh, this this legendary role and sort of being conferred that title is the goal we're striving towards here where it's kind of narrowed down at this point to her and I assume Ayumi. Hmm. Although I admit I'm intrigued by the brief glimpse we see of uh, Emmy, one of the girls at the high school Maya ends up at. We see her yeah. in a drama club practice where she uh, becomes an, an only Baba. And uh, one, that's her her motions, her facial expressions are really well animated. Mm-hmm. But two, she's got a really great character design. Three, but she, she just seems very interesting and compelling, even that very brief glimpse we see of her. It's a very, very good introduction. It really highlights a lot of the strengths the show has. Yeah, it really... It really excels at those small moments. And it's it's nice to see it get to have them. Because I think it's... A lot of times the show has to cover so much ground that it, it doesn't... Oh, it, you know, it kind of only gets sporadically these scenes 
you know, every couple of episodes to really just dial into this interiority that it does so well. Yeah, I think, I mean, the show, the show certainly has its samples, but I think one of the things that truly makes this show good is how it nails some of the performances. Like, for me, that's what's really important here. I can ignore, I can ignore even Masumi. I can erase him from my mind <laughs> as long as they do the other stuff well. Mm-hmm. Like, I only ask to be entertained. <laughs> I don't ask for much. I did die a little inside when she, when uh, Maya rips her costume on stage during Wuthering Heights. Like, <laughs> inside, I'm having a conniption. Like, <laughs> have to- do you know how long it took to do you know they won't have time to replace that now some state now some costume department person is gonna have to go out tomorrow and get some a new fucking apron because you can't stitch that you ripped a whole chunk out how dare you <laughs> it's actually it's actually fun for it's funny for me how she was able to rip that fabric as if she was as i don't know hulk or something <laughs> Right, it's it's that amazing anime fabric that's made of tissue paper and not like reinforced cotton blends. <laughs> Which I guess stage costumes do tend to be sometimes made out of cheaper stuff so that it's easier to put together in a shorter period of time, but like also, mm. Yeah, but they're not made of paper. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and also at the same time you would want some a cat a character like like Kathy to be in something durable because the actor's going to be running around on stage and falling down a lot. So none of this makes sense. I mean, I suppose she did get skull for reading. She she did and I felt vindicated. This is just me being annoyed that act that that series about acting very rarely care about backstage. At least review Starlight tried a little <laughs> tiny bit. <laughs> but you're right. The the scenes the best scenes in this show are the ones where it kind of has a little time to build up what's going on in a performance and then just let it play out almost in at least for a scene's worth. Like those are consistently the most gripping parts of the show. The, the Gina, uh, Gina. Yeah. And uh, the five blue pots one was, was similar where it's just, you're held in tension on stage, not because it's necessarily explaining to you what she's doing, but because you get caught up in the action of you've been taught to understand why this is challenging. And now you get to see without your hand being held, if she's going to pull it off. I, I wish there was time for more of that. And like, I know you need to balance it with the characters backstage lives. And also you need time to build up the stakes so that the performances have meaning, but it, and you know, if they're not, at least a little bit rare, then they're not as meaningful, but I always feel a little sad being taken away from them at the same time. Yeah, when it goes back to the the shoujo romantic melodrama, you're just like, oh, we're back to this again. Mm-hmm. Although I mind it less when we're watching the apparently perfectly functional but very weird relationship Ayumi has with her parents. Yeah, the the scene with her and her mother, because um, her mother Utako is going to be playing um, Annie in this production of the the uh, of the play, and they're just like, "Well, mom, I'm going to go off to our condo and basically study my acting. See you on stage. See you on stage, hun." 
this yeah, point, I'll I mean, be rivals. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's it's not normal, but it makes sense. Like, you really do avoid the gossip that her mom. I mean, that Ayumi was receiving special coaching or something if she was, let's say, training in an entirely different place with no contact for her mom. Like, Ayumi really cares about things being fair. And because Ayumi is in a position where she could gain things from who she knows because her parents are famous and well connect, it really matters to her to, to win things with her talent and not with her connections and her parents' reputations. You're right. It is a very sweet scene in a way. Like, it, a little odd, but the fact that her mom is genuinely supportive of her and the fact that she's clearly not, you know, she's clearly going to a place where she's safe and going to be taken care of and, you know, have people to help her. And also that Ayumi wants to avoid this not not even just the appearance of nepotism, but the any actual chance of it. Like it makes her a Ayumi is the best character in this show. She's great. She is. Like you would expect her to be such a brat just from her whole Ojasama visual design. But in many ways, she's one of the most emotionally grounded characters in the entire cast. Yeah, she's definitely, if not the best, one of the best characters of this show. Like, whenever Ayumi's not there, I want her to come back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Completely in earnest. When Ayumi is not there, I am asking, where's Ayumi? <laughs> and though, speaking of Ayumi, you know how she cut off all her hair, and then she has all her hair back, but then yeah. on another episode, she had very weird hair like she was in the middle of a grown face like it was super inconsistent i'm like okay i'm am i supposed to buy this because it's anime or she's like rotating wings or, or what right like it's been a year but a year's not long enough to hack off all your hair and then grow it back down to the middle of your back i don't care what products you're using she's rich she can afford wigs yeah, I mean, as someone who has curls and has cut her hair to pixie haircuts a lot of times, one year is not nearly enough to have not even shoulder length hair. Like, it doesn't matter, but for me, that it's really distracting. It, it, it is, like, at the end of the day, it's one of those, I don't know, anime things. But <laughs> if, if we're looking at it with any kind of magnifying glass at all, it's absurd. <laughs> And also the fact that she straightens her hair for the one production she does with Ayumi, and then it's it's back to curls again with no harm done. Yeah, her, her curls are are flawless. Yep, I'm it's, surprised. It's... I'm surprised we don't see more sparkles around her curls <laughs> because they're extremely unreal. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way you can tell. I, I guess I sort of dipped us into it earlier, but it seems like a good a time as any to, because next time we'll be covering the last part of this show. And I laid out my big card that I'm pretty sure Tsukikage will die before the credits roll. That's my biggest prediction. Maya will lose both of her mother figures and be forced to go it alone against her rival with whom, if I'm lucky, she will have one last faded showdown for this, for the show. That is my greatest hope. I don't think it's going to go quite so far as having Tsukakage die. I absolutely think her mom is going to die on screen. Oh, for sure. 
but I'm hoping and betting that, the, yes, there's going to be one more showdown between Ayumi and Maya before the show ends. And I am so excited. Mm-hmm. On that front, I really, really like the the Helen Keller arc of this show. Like, sure, it's troubling, but so entertaining. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to have a lot more discussion about portrayals of disability. That's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's... Like the movie version of the Miracle Worker, I'm not sure if you listeners um, are film buffs at home, uh, may be familiar with it, but it's essentially got at least one scene that's more or less the embodiment of for your consideration, which is is where th- there's a scene where um, where Helen has a, a breakthrough and she's able to verbally a- articulate this concept of water because there's. Uh, after a, a lot of struggles of communication between her and uh, Annie, and it's it's a whole thing. The music swells; it's so dramatic. She's reached this child. It's you're, thing. you're talking about the 1960s version, right? I am. Yeah, that matters. Yes. Keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm actually really excited. I just I've got my popcorn. <laughs> and also, I suspect thing. that the Maya versus Hayami thing, it feels like it has to come to a point. She has to finally put together who Mr. Purple Rose is. I don't oh, know you're extending this a lot of credit. I, I don't think it's going to deal with all the, the ramifications of it, but I think it, before this ends, she, she's going to put it together. I hope she's going to put it together. I don't think she is. I think at best we'll get a scene where she's like, maybe Hayami isn't so terrible after all. And that's I mean, as far as it'll go. And then he stares I at her mean, from the shadows and smokes a cigarette. I mean, she saw an entire purple rose inside of that man's car. And still, <laughs> she didn't even suspect. Like, I would be so go willing to go so far as to say, I'm not entirely sure she knows who she, he is in the manga now. <laughs> like, this, this was so easy for her secretary. And in contrast... You had Maya. <laughs> yeah. Like, like child. Ch- like, as Maya gets older, I start to have fractionally less tolerance for the amount of naivete she shows. Not not even just naivete, but just foolishness for things that a, that a te- that someone her age should be able to put together when presented with the amount of evidence she sees. Oh, I oh, actually, Maya. I just laugh. I mean, what else can you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. It's either laugh or cry dramatic shoujo tears. Beautiful, sparkly tears. All right, well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we'll save the media's discussion on all of these and laugh at our, at our terrible wrongness next time when we wrap the series up with episodes 18 through 22 which i'm really looking forward to i'm still not going to watch the 05 series i don't think but i'm really looking forward to watching the rest of this and on that note thank you so much for joining us listeners if you liked what you heard you can find more of the podcast as well as written content on our website at www.animefeminist.com if you really like what you heard you could consider uh, tossing us a dollar on patreon Uh, we know it's tough out there for a lot of folks but even a dollar a month really does go a long way 
to our mission of paying everyone for their work and hopefully to expanding what we can do and upping our rates for what we can pay our contributors and our team. So we really appreciate you and we can't do it without you. Uh, if you would like to catch us on social media, we are on Facebook at Anime Femme. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist and we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. Thanks so much for joining us, Anna Fam. And until next time, remember to chase them sparkly show show dreams. <laughs> <laughs>